Hello, hello, my fellow podcast people. I hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Tuesday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azrin, the language nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube, but also secondarily whenever I feel like posting on TikTok and on Tumblr. My username on all these platforms is exactly the same. It is at polyglotazrin, that is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-A-Z or Z depending on your country, R-E-N, and or you can just search Azrin the Language Nerd. So A-Z or Z-R-E-N the Language Nerd and you're probably gonna find me. Um, I'm very excited for this podcast episode and let's dive right in. To kick things off, I want to talk about something which sounds really boring, but ultimately it's the bread and butter and it's the foundation of a lot of aspects when it comes to language learning. And it's something I talked about a couple of days ago, but let me go, let me, I want to say it in a slightly different way. And it's by doing the boring things, it's doing the boring thing that allows us to have the exciting result. What I mean by that is to achieve the exciting result of being fluent or having this really advanced level and being able to communicate with all these people and and, and everyone praising us and all that great stuff that comes with having an advanced level or fluent level in a language, that actually comes by doing boring, mundane, day-to-day kind of work, daily practice, regular study, applying your knowledge day day in and day out 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 and eventually you achieve this magical level what i find really interesting is a lot of people when they approach language learning they will often try and attack it by doing something exciting to achieve the fluency so for example some people will choose to do like an intensive program because they want to get there fast And the concept of an intensive program makes them feel excited. Like, oh, I'm going to go do this intensive program. And suddenly after the intensive program, I'm going to be fluent or I'm going to do this, whatever. I'm going to take this class because they've promised that within six months, I'm going to be able to do blah, 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 blah. Or I want to achieve a C1 level or a B2 level in three months. How can I do that? These very ambitious things that sound Um, that would be very impressive if we pulled off. A lot of people attack it in that kind of light. And by the way, those kinds of strategies are amazing and there's nothing actually wrong with them. I myself have followed a lot of these types of strategies. I have taken intensive lessons in different countries. I have traveled abroad to learn. I have done, you know, I've done a lot of that stuff, you know, and I've, 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 I've done it, right? And I think being engaged and being excited about how you're trying to learn a language, it's incredibly important and that excitement is just gonna fuel your learning. No doubt about it, we can't, there's no argument against that. But we need to understand that there has to be a balance of practicality. There has to be. So if we look at my life, let me explain this. Let me show, give you a real life example. In my life, when we look at Spanish, okay? In Spanish, I traveled to Peru, I took intensive lessons, I went to Chile to visit a friend, right? When I was um, at the University of Calgary and studying, I would go to the Spanish center where I'd hang out with this lady who worked there and we are good friends and it was a lot of fun. I loved going there, I, I hung out with other learners, I listened to music. Like there's a lot of great things I did that were super engaging. On the flip side, there's a lot of stuff that happened that was quote unquote boring, 
quote unquote mundane and actually probably a little bit difficult to do. And for some people they go, oh, you did that? So a great example is I did a major in Spanish in university, which meant that I had to read a lot of boring things. I read literature. I had to go to class on a daily basis. I had to do homework that was kind of dumb, some, or not really dumb, but not enjoyable for me. I studied complex grammar points. I had to do worksheets. I like there was a real balance. And so the balance of doing the fun stuff and a lot of the academic mundane kinds of activities that maybe I didn't like is ultimately why I have the level that I have in Spanish right now. Let's look at something like Mandarin even. Mandarin, let's look at it. I've traveled to China. I love to travel, as you guys know. I traveled to China, right? I, I, I used to go to this weekly conversation club. I went on a date that I didn't even really, well, I think it was a date. Pretty sure it was supposed to be a date with a girl that I didn't even know was a date. I didn't speak Mandarin, she didn't speak English. We're trying to get, we're trying to get by. Like that's like interesting, it's a funny story. And on top of that, I went to class every day. And on top of that, every single day, every single evening when my friends and my, my, my fellow classmates were out eating dinner or were out hanging out or were out, you know, or maybe watching Netflix or whatever, I was at home doing additional language exchanges on italki. So I had class every single day for like six hours. I'd come home, I'd eat a snack, right? And then I would do a language exchange, one or two, or I'd take an online class on top of that. I didn't really want to. Sometimes it wouldn't work out. I, I didn't want to, but it had to be done. I could go on forever. It's balancing the stuff that's fun and exciting and, and enjoyable, all that, but balancing it with daily consistency and putting in the work, even when sometimes the work is boring or you don't necessarily want to put in that work. There has to be a level of balance. And I think a lot of people misjudge that balance and they miss fire on the balance. Some people are doing a lot of fun stuff and they're just trying to focus on fun. Some people are focusing just on the work and the balance is in the middle. So it's something I wanted to kick this podcast off on because it's an incredibly, it's an incredibly important thing. Another thing I want to talk about language related on this podcast is something that I said in one of my videos yesterday that is worth expanding on because I only spent a minute or two on the video. Now, um, in my video, by the way, if you're not following my YouTube, there's some pretty cool stuff going on there lately. Um, go check it out, Azrin the Language Nerd. Go subscribe, I would appreciate it. I'm really trying to, by the way, I know it's a tangent, but bear with me. I'm, I really desperately, desperately want crossover on my social media platforms. What I mean by that is I've noticed a, a bit of a trend where people follow me in one or maybe two places but they don't follow me on other platforms, AKA you follow the podcast, but you don't follow the Instagram, even though you actively use Instagram on a regular basis, or you follow Instagram, but you don't follow YouTube and the podcast, even though you actually actively listen to podcasts and actively watch YouTube videos. I desperately want, I desperately want that cross pollination. I want you to follow me on all of the platforms that you actually use. And I'm imploring, even if we get a few of you on this podcast today to cross over to other platforms, it would mean so much to me. Um, so yeah, if you can do that, if you're not following me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, let's say those are the four main ones. If there's a platform out of there that you actually use regularly um, that, you, that you're on and you're not following me on it, 
please, you know, like pause the podcast or while this is playing, oh, take your phone out and, and go, go follow, right? Or after your drive or pull over, stop your workout, like, like go do that, please. I'd appreciate it so, so, so much. Anyway, back on topic. So on YouTube, I said that I was talking about the importance of natural input. The whole thesis of what I was saying in the video is you need natural input when you're studying a language. You cannot simply study all the grammar rules and study out of a textbook and just try to memorize the rules and jam the information in your brain and then try to spit it out when you try to, when you communicate with whoever you're communicating with. That's not an effective formula. In the early days, that's not bad. For example, if you've learned a grammar rule and you're processing through the and you're processing through the grammar rule in your head before speaking, in the early days that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's probably going to happen and I'm perfectly fine with that. But over time you've got to you you've got to leave you've got to leave that strategy. You have to stop that strategy because it is just, it is just way too slow, okay? So ultimately, what I'm a big fan of is yes, start out with grammar rules, start out with putting the, like jamming the information in your brain, however you need to do it, flashcards, rote tactics, like rewriting your notes, blah, 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 whatever you need to. But at the end of the day, the natural input is what's going to allow you to succeed in the long term with whatever language you're learning. Let's take a step back. What is natural input for the people who are questioning? Natural input, well, let's start with input and then let's go to natural input. So input basically means when you're engaging with whatever language you're learning in a way where you are on the receiving end and you're not the one communicating. This could be listening to something or reading something. So whether it's listening to a podcast, listening to a audiobook, listening to a song, listening to watching a video even, right? Or you are reading a book, reading a blog post, reading a meme, reading something, okay? That is input. Now, what is natural input? Well, in, it, I don't even know if natural input is a real term or if it's something that I just basically use in my own brain. Natural input to me is when you're, when you're, you have input, listening to a video, watching something, someone's talking to you, reading, etc. But what you are reading or listening to is some form of natural speech. It's not something that's super structured and very, um, basically it's not something that is formulated for you simply to learn. <laughs> like, you know when you read textbook dialogues, sometimes they're really dumb, like they're not actually how people speak. Have you guys come across that? That would be a perfect example of not, not natural input. Versus a good example of natural input might be if you're watching, if you're listening to a song and it's like a, a love song, right? The way the person is singing and the language, the poetic language she, he or she is using, that is an example of, of natural input because it is a real speaker using language in a real context and not for the sake of someone trying to necessarily learn. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what I consider to be quote unquote natural input. That's my take on it. Now, the natural input side is incredibly important, to, I believe, because that is, that is actually what allows you to eventually speak or use the language in an automatic way. You see, let me give you an example. I learned in a classroom setting in Mandarin how to say, for example, oh, this object was this long or that big or this small. I've talked about this example in the past, actually, now that I'm saying this, but it's okay. 
right? That's something I've learned in a classroom setting, okay? Now, that grammar point or that, um, yes, this grammar point has only really become solidified in my brain because I've heard a plethora, so many different native Mandarin speakers use this in real life contexts. I remember uh, literally yesterday, I was watching um, <clears throat> my Chinese drama, which I've talked about a couple times, and there was something one of the characters said, like, oh, that, uh, what, what, what was the sentence he said? It was, uh, uh, oh man, what was the sentence? Oh, I don't remember his sentence anymore. Anyway, I, I remember thinking it as I heard it, like, oh yeah, that's that juma, blah, 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 blah expression. Oh yeah, right? Or even myself, I remember I was running a summer camp once uh, for English learners, but we made videos together. It was a cool kind of combination thing that I was hired for. And a bunch of Chinese people were there. And I remember walking in and these girls and guys and whatnot had, they dressed up in their costumes for the videos. And like, I remember thinking, oh, I think this is an appropriate time to use that juma or nama, right? Expression like, oh, wow, so pretty. I remember thinking that and I said it and I got a really good reaction and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I heard someone else say it again, natural kind of scenarios that are driving my learning. And so that is something you need. You need to have it because ultimately it is easier to recollect memories than it is to recollect grammar points. Let me say that again, nice and slow. It's easier to recollect memories to recollect grammar points. In other words, it's, easy, it's easier for you to know how to say something in Mandarin because you remember someone saying it or you remember reading it in some real life scenario. It's easier to do that than it is to remember how to say something based on some grammatical rule that you came across in a textbook, in a video, etc. So I'm a big, big, big believer of this natural input. And one thing I've realized now is there are, there are, there's a lot of language learners who don't have a lot of this natural input. And it's, it's, a, it's a funny balance actually, now that I'm really processing this right now, as I'm making this podcast, I almost feel like there's two or let's say three different groups of language learners. We have one group who's doing a good job. They're doing a good job of having a lot of natural input. They're, they're asking questions. They're understanding the grammar rules at least well enough to be able to understand the natural input and understand what's happening. And they're doing a decently good job and they're making good progress. That's one group. And there's a lot of people who are doing it right, by the way. It's not like everyone's doing it wrong. A lot of people are got, have got this right. We have another group that goes all natural input. And I actually don't know if that's the best strategy or rather, let me say this more specifically, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not the right strategy if the sources you're using for input are too far above your level. So if you are a pure beginner and you're, all you're doing is watching like, I don't know, TV shows and movies with no subtitles and trying to learn the language, I'm not saying you can't do it, but man, most of you are gonna really struggle and, and it's probably gonna be like, it's probably not gonna have the most, the best outcome for you. Right? So you have to make sure that, you know, the people who are going all natural input, they're, they're, they're refusing to learn grammar rules. They're refusing to really do any kind of study. All they want to do is immerse themselves. Like, again, it's possible, but you're, you're going to have a, it's going to be difficult. If you're going to do that strategy, the biggest thing you want to do is you have to do something that makes it comprehensible. In other words, you have to do something 
that when you're going 100% input, let me just listen and read and stuff, it has to be, you have to be using resources that are not too difficult, or you have to be using some kind of crutch that makes the difficult content easier for you to consume whether that's pictures, because you're reading picture books, right? And the pictures help you identify what's going on. Whether it's a bilingual book, right? Bilingual book is great. It can be a really hard book, but because it's bilingual, you can refer to the English and start to process through how things work in the language you're learning. It could be, right, you're gonna need, probably if you're just doing reading, you're gonna need some kind of auditory guide so you know how to pronounce things properly, right? So you might actually have to find videos that teach you this letter says this sound. The second letter of the alphabet says this sound. You might need to find something. And theoretically, that's not, now we're not in the realm of pure natural input anymore. Now we've kind of left that and now you're going 90% pure natural input, 10% something else. And so, I don't know, like, again, it is possible to go pure natural input, but usually you're gonna wanna find some level of balance of having a lot of natural input using those kinds of resources, but also secondarily, you're probably gonna need something else to supplement it. Now, that's the second group, right? People are doing pure natural input, which I think can be a struggle and not always the best idea. The third group is goes, the third group goes the complete other way. They're going very little or no natural input, and they're going pure classroom, pure textbook, pure let me do my homework. And actually, as a matter of fact, it could even be in a lot of ways, a lot of output, actually, now that I think about it. Like, if you think about someone going through a traditional language learning class, right? They're probably getting a decent amount of input, weirdly, from the teacher, from their textbook dialogues, from all of that. I, it's arguable how natural that input is. We don't know. It depends on the resource being used and whatever language. So, and depends on how the class is being taught. So maybe you're getting natural input through your class. Maybe not, it depends, right? But then you're probably doing a decent amount of output through your worksheets, through your writing, through your whatever, your oral presentations, all that kind of stuff. So if you're doing that, you know, a lot of people I see, they're just not hearing the language being used in natural ways by enough people. You know, even if in the best case scenario, let's say your class is really good, your teacher is awesome, you've got this great CD and all that good stuff, you still run into the problem of not hearing or consuming, reading or hearing, natural input from a variety of different speakers. That's where, or in, in a variety of different situations, that's where you start to get into a little bit of a trap. I think a good example I can use to prove this, it's like right now, one of the primary sources that I'm using for my Mandarin vocabulary and Mandarin learning is this Chinese drama that I'm watching. Now, th this Chinese drama has got all sorts of great vocabulary, it's fantastic, but I was noticing something yesterday. The Chinese drama, you know, when you look at the sh what, the, the premise of the show, the people, the main characters work in this in this one uh, kind of like a broadcasting company, okay? And it seems to be like a big, big company, kind of like a, think of a Coca-Cola, like a really big company where there's politics and it's very traditional in many ways and blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of words that I'm seeing in this series that have to do with office dynamics. Things like meeting, things like even press conference, things like um, fired, hired, resigning, um, demotions, um, 
whatever, a lot of these office kinds of words. And it was funny because there's this one scene that happens in a mechanic shop. And it's the only scene that I've seen in a mechanic shop. It was like a 30 second, 60 second scene. But I remember thinking when I saw the mechanic scene shop, like I really struggled to understand what was happening. The office scenes, uh, I need the subtitles, but I, I'm a lot better off. The, the mechanic shop, I was literally reading every subtitle because I've, I, I'm so unfamiliar with that scenario. I don't know any car words. I don't know how mechanics speak. I'm not used to hearing mechanics way of putting words together because maybe the mechanics less educated. I don't know. He had a different cadence and his way of speaking. Like it was very, very different. And so it was just an example of how, of why I struggled in that with the language of Mandarin due to a lack of variety with the natural input I'm receiving. So those people who are kind of messing it up and they're either, they're going a very textbook classroom, tradition, quote unquote, traditional style of approach to learn whatever language, which is great, right? And either worst case scenario, they're not getting a lot of natural input, which is just a bad scenario, <clears throat> or even best case, they're getting some, a decent amount of natural input, but they're not getting enough of a variety from enough, from variety of speakers, variety of situations, etc. On a side tangent, this will be the last thing I say before we wrap this podcast up. That's probably one of the weaknesses, actually not probably, this is one of the weaknesses with how I currently teach. I was thinking about this and I was like, man, one of the things that my students need and I need to incorporate more is I need to introduce them to different, different types of sources of natural input. I think right now when I look at the classes, I am probably the primary, their primary source of natural input, but I need to expand that out a little bit. Not too much. I can't overwhelm them. It can't be like going crazy, but even just five, 10% more, I think would benefit my students a lot. So anyway, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. I think we've been going for a nice, a nice long time, at least 20 minutes. Yeah, 22 minutes, good. Um, I appreciate your attention. You guys rock. Have a fantastic Tuesday and we will talk later. Bye for now, guys. See you.